Revelation 19. After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of great multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises for up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice from heaven, or a voice from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to him, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. He said, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worthy, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. In his eyes are eyes, are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he is a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he may smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the wrath, fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that ye may eat the flesh of the kings, and the flesh of the commanders, and the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and on those who sit upon them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the king of kings, of, and the king of earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, with which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Let's all pray. Father, uh, we just thank you so much, and we are just uh, in awe of you today, uh, especially reading these passages and just uh, just having that, that full uh, vision of you, uh, your son returning uh, and conquering victorious. Uh, it's just uh, so encouraging to just such confidence and just to behold even just a small vision of that uh, of that power and that majesty. Lord, I'm just kind of in awe and trembling. And uh, please just bless us today and uh, just, yeah, just just pray for uh, for wisdom and understanding and for those uh, teaching on this text uh, to, you know, make clear anything that is uh, uh, difficult to understand. And I pray that uh, your will be done. In Jesus' name.
morning. I really good morning. Uh, I guess I, I'm, I'm old school with my, my big funky Bible and my handwritten notes, and so I, di- I didn't trust the music thing. Um, so thank you for uh, a little bit of patience here. Um, I've heard several times today um, just people saying, we finally reached 19, Revelation 19. We can finally get some some good news. Um, and yeah, w- we've been working our way a- as a church through Revelation, and we've heard a, a lot of uh, hard things, a lot of uh, blood, a lot of uh, just persecution and trial and, and sort of the, the advances of, of evil. And, and um, we, we reached this point in, in Revelation 19 where, where finally it's, there's a fire. And Revelation 19 kind of, it, it ushers in the, the, the end of the story, okay? And before diving in, sorry, um, I, I just wanted to, to speak a little bit about the, the power of story. Um, we are created by God for story. I, I think it's part of what makes us image bearers. It's what separates us from animal. One of the ways that, that we're separated from animals. Um, I've heard it said that, that for, for humanity, we require, you know, uh, food, water, shelter, um, but then after that, we need story and we need community, okay? Um, and even going back to, to, like, primitive times, just cavemen, wh- what do they do? They, they had drawings, right? Cavemen drawings, they were stories. Um, Jesus, when he taught, thank you. <laughs> I'm getting distracted. try that. Okay, we'll try that. Um, it's part of the story, right? Um, and so we, we are, are, God chose, right, w- when God is even revealing himself to humanity, uh, to his creation, he's doing it in the form of a story, okay? The, the Bible, um, right, many authors, many books over many, many, many years, but one cohesive story. It's God's story of creation, fall, restoration, right, and ultimately, right, glorification, where we are a- at the end here. Um, and so story is just hardwired into us. Um, does anyone, just out of curiosity, anyone know what the most popular movie in this country is um, by IMDb ratings? And I'll, I'll judge you if you guess wrong. Just being honest. Rocky. That's in the top ten. Paddington to the see now I'm judging you. <laughs> okay, I'm judging you worse. <laughs> Titanic is not it. Star Wars, okay, not not quite. Jaws is also in the top ten, but but not quite. All right, one more guess. Boom. Shawshank Redemption. Okay, and. Shawshank Redemption came out in, in 1994, so I am unapologetically going to talk about it for a minute, okay? So if you have not seen it, you've had plenty of opportunity, and I am remorseless uh, about spoilers. And so uh, the interesting thing about Shawshank Redemption, the number one, America's favorite movie, um, as rated by IMDb, um, it changed its ending, okay? Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, I don't want to make assumptions, but Shawshank Redemption is a story of, of uh, two men uh, who are in prison. Um, one named uh, Andy, and he's convicted of murdering his wife for a crime he did not commit. He is innocent. Uh, while in prison, he befriends a man named Red, who is in prison for a crime he did commit. Um, and over approximately 20 years of, of being in prison together, they, they develop this, this friendship. And Andy kind of maintains this, this restlessness of, of knowing he's, he's wrongfully convicted and, and yearning for, for freedom. Um, and and by, by the end of the movie, uh, Andy, he escapes. Right? He escapes prison. It's this plot. He, he didn't even tell his friend Red. They just, one day, he's gone. And Andy goes, and he escapes to, to Mexico. Um, and Red, Andy, before he leaves, he, he tells Red about this place. Um, doesn't tell Red he's escaping, but he tells him about this place in Mexico. And Red eventually gets parole, and he, he's paroled. He's back out into the community. He's having a very hard time adjusting after about 50 years of being in prison. 
it kind of changes a person, and he's struggling to adapt. Um, and uh, I should have said, bef- while he was still in prison, before he was paroled, he, he gets this uh, postcard. It has no name on it, no, it's just addressed to him, nothing else, no message, but it's got a postmark on it, and it's a border crossing in Texas. And Red understands that as a signal from Andy, this is where I crossed, right? It's its clue, Andy's leaving clues. Um, and in the original film, the original version of the film, it closes with Ed, oh I'm sorry, Ed, Red deciding to, to go to Mexico, to join his friend. And he, he, he's on uh, parole, he breaks parole, which is technically against the law, and he kind of hightails it out of there. And the movie ends with him on the bus, just looking out, just thinking and pondering, right? And it's an open-ended ending, okay? Um, we don't actually know that the two friends reunite. And so they, they make the movie, that's the ending, they do test screenings, and people hate it. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. Um, because what happened was, was over the course of the movie, the, the, the audience, you bond with, with Red and Andy, and, and you love their friendship, and there's just something in our soul that wants them to be okay, okay? And so after that feedback, they, they go, and they're like, okay, <laughs> we, we got to change the ending. And they shoot this, this one extra scene, and the, the way that the, the movie that's America's favorite movie, number one movie on IMDb, you see after Red is on that bus, the very next scene is he's walking on the beach. And you see Andy, and he's, he's kind of tanned and rested and, and carefree. He's, he's free. He's finally out of, you know, been out of prison. And he's working on his boat, and he looks up, and Red's got his briefcase, and he's walking. And it's this pristine location, the, the whitest sand you've ever seen, the clearest blue water, the, like, beautiful, beautiful sky. And it's this picture of paradise. And... They shot that, they put that in the movie, then they test screened it again, and people went wild. Okay, people went nuts. It was their, in their test screening, it was their favorite scene of the entire movie. Um, Now, that's a movie, okay, and I'm not trying to write, (laughs) hey, this is what Shawshank Redemption is, so here's the Bible. Very different, right, work of fiction, but it's a reflection, okay, and I think it's a reflection of, of yearnings in our heart. Uh, we want there. We, we want to know that things are going to be okay. We we yearn for kind of certainty and, and, and safety. We we want to to know that that things are going to be are going to work out. And we wanted that for for Red and for Andy. And we needed to see it. Ambiguous wasn't enough. We needed to see it. And so, I think that that brings us to to where we are. Like. Why do the end of stories matter? Because we're, we're right, Revelation 19, we, we only got a few more chapters. It's the very end of, of the Bible, the very end of God's story. Um, and so endings matter because um, they affect the present, okay? Um, it, it, we need to live in light of the ending. And so... Um, it's not an accident that, that God gave us the, the, the end of the story, right? Like he he could have, right? He's God. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. It could have been enough that, that here's the Bible, here's the Old Testament, here's creation, you know, here, here's Israel, here's Jesus, here's what Jesus did, here's the cross, here's the resurrection. Now go be the church and end it there, okay? Just trust me. I'm God. I, I got it taken care of. You don't need to know. You're on a need-to-know basis. Just trust me, and, and we'll go. But God gives us the end of the story, okay? He gives it to us for uh, a purpose. And so to understand that, um, we have to understand just, just who we are as people. And, and there's a, a very interesting book that, that I actually would recommend anyone who, who has some time and is interested and wants to read it. But it, it's called You Are What You Love by uh, a man named James K.A. Smith. Uh, he's a professor at, at Calvin College. Um, uh, of philosophy and of, of theology, and it's kind of a strange title. You are what you love, right? It's like, I love chicken wings. I, I don't become a chicken wing, or I, I love like a football. I don't become a football. Like, it kind of can seem absurd at, at first glance, but what what it's talking about is is what we love and what we pursue. It, it shapes us and it forms us. Um, and we, we talk about this a lot. I, I know I'm not not saying anything new, um, but but that's okay. We we, we say things that are true. Um, and so to be going, like, any ending of the story is informed by the beginning of the story. And so at the beginning of God's story, we, we have the garden. And God created 
mankind, and God created us for a purpose, and that purpose was to worship him. That purpose was to, to give, right, to, to respond to God's love in, in worship and to find our happiness and satisfaction in God's provision for us. Now, we know that in the story, Adam and Eve sinned. They, they chose to elevate themselves in, in their own sense of right and wrong and their own sense of fulfillment over and, and above God, um, and sin enters the world. Um, and, and we're actually, we're, we're going to get back to that in, in a little bit, but that urge to, to worship, that urge to find our significance in something, that, that urge to, to want to put our hope in something, to, to live the good life, didn't go away, okay? And, and we've carried that generation after generation after generation. It's the mark of humanity. And so we're like uh, spiritual sharks. You know how sharks have to constantly move in the water and they're constantly oriented towards something? Like, we never stand still. We are always in motion. We're always trying to find significance. We're always trying to find um, what the key is to, to flourishing, what, what the key is to, to happiness. Um, and sometimes we can be lulled into a sense that, that we're primarily rational beings, that, that if we think the right thoughts, then that filters down and we'll do the right actions. And all the way back, and we were talking about this before, but, but all the way back to, to Augustine, that, that's if you observe humanity, that, that's, that's not the way we work. And um, I, I, and again, this is not necessarily new, but I always go back to, to a, a quote from, from Tim Keller that, that I've read. Um, what the heart trusts, okay, what the heart hopes in, the mind justifies, the emotions desire, and the will carries out, okay? And so, uh, perhaps to illustrate this, um, if I decide that I want to go on a diet, I decide that, uh, you know, I, I want to drop some weight, I want to get healthier, maybe my doctor's on my case, and then I finally kind of get convinced that, that I need to do that. And, you know, I, I can learn, say, the, the, the keto diet, right? So there's, you know, carbs and these things and whatever. I <laughs> did it a couple years ago and tried to forget it. But there's rules, okay? And, and I can learn the rules. Um, and so I, I can decide and I can put my hope in, hey, I want this, right? I, you know, I'm convinced of the reasons, and, and I, I genuinely desire and trust in the fact that the key to, to happiness, or, or in this kind of realm, is, is I'm, I'm going to aspire to this and I'm going to lose weight. And so say I'm in a restaurant and, and the dessert cart comes by and there's a chocolate cake, okay? And my heart goes, what? Like, eating that chocolate cake is going to bring me joy. It is going to bring me happiness, okay? It is not an intellectual pursuit. I mentally am not confused about whether or not chocolate cake is good for me. I am not mentally confused about whether sugar is a carb or if it's allowable in my, my diet. It is not an intellectual issue. It is an issue of desire, right? What is going to make me happiest in this moment, right? And I'm at the fork in the road, right? I can decide <laughs> that the chocolate cake is going to make me happy, and therefore I'm going to do it, and I can justify it, right? My, my heart puts hope in it, and then my mind starts going you've done really well, you know, like, you got to live a little, right? You can't be serious all the time. It's not going to kill you to have one piece of chocolate cake, right? And, and then, hey, I, I order it, and then I eat, right? It, it flows from there. Or there's that moment of struggle, but I genuinely, my, my deeper happiness is, no, I really do want to lose weight. I really do want to see this through. And I can flirt with that, but at the end of the day, I, I want that, okay? It's the, we're creatures of, of, of hope and desire, and we want happiness. Um, we can try to suppress it. Um, and if you've ever tried to, to put a beach ball underwater, <laughs> right? And I, I remember that game like, you know, you do as, as kids or adults even. Hey, I'm not above it. I'm not judging. But you kind of get that big beach ball and you put it underwater and you try to sit on it and it's, it's like you're, you're riding a, a rodeo horse, right? Like it wants to emerge from out of the water. It's being held down wants to come up because it's, it's the natural state of things is for the beach ball to, to come up. And that's, that's our heart with, with, with worship. That's our heart with desire. That's our heart kind of being the spiritual shark, finding something to, to fixate on. Um, so we, we go to the future and we work backwards from there, okay? We set our hope, we set our desires in the future, and we bring them back to the present, okay? Um, so reasoning from there Right, you, you can kind of see why hopelessness is such a a poisonous thing for for humanity. We, we because we are geared that way, um, and and I came across 
it's the flip side of, of what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's the same thing, but, but the other side of it. And so um, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with, with Band of Brothers. Uh, it was a book that I think ultimately was turned into a, a miniseries um, probably 20 years ago. But it's the story of, of Easy Company, a uh, World War II um, unit of paratroopers uh, and, and kind of spans uh, World War II. But the, this particular interaction uh, I'm talking about, it was right after D-Day, right? And these guys, they, they were paratroopers. They, they parachuted into France, and it was chaotic, and they get, they get uh, spread out. They, they get kind of, their, their unit gets, um, what's the word I'm Scattered. Thank you. Very simple word that didn't want to jump in my brain. Thank you for that. So they're scattered. Uh, and, and there's this one soldier named Albert Blythe. Um, and, and he um, he actually, and this is this is historic. This is documented in, in actual like documentation. It's, it's not fiction. He, he had a, a bout of hysterical blindness. He, he had temporary blindness. Um, and, and he uh, when he finally reconnects with, with some of his, his company soldiers or fellow soldiers, um, he has an interaction with a, a soldier named Ronald Spires or Spears, I'm not sure exactly the pronunciation, um, who was known for his, his bravery, known for his almost recklessness. And he, he uh, Blythe was feeling defeated. He was feeling very um, ashamed even. Because of, of he, he landed and he hid. Okay, And he knew that that was cowardly. He knew that was wrong. He just it overcame him. And, and he was asking his, his fellow soldier who, who didn't struggle with that, like, like what, wh what's the secret? How can you act this way? Uh, and I think he was expecting kind of, you know, uh, uh, don't be a coward, be stronger, you know, you, you got to trust your training or you got to do your duty. Uh, and, and, and Spires doesn't do that. He, he looks at him and he's just like, you know what your problem is? And, and, and Blythe is like, I, I don't. He's like, your problem is you don't realize you're already dead. Okay, it's a very dark, right, orientation, but his point was that, like, hey, <laughs> like, he was free because he didn't have hope of getting out of there. He, he kind of saw it as this hopeless situation, and, and because he, his endpoint was, was very negative, <laughs> right, but it, it had downstream effects, okay? And so it, it's, it's the, the, the flip side of what I'm talking, and, and I'm not saying I, I agree, I'm using it as an illustration, okay? Um, but a lot of, some of the, these negative uh, feelings we have, like, like, what is bitterness? If you really get down to it, what, what is bitterness? Bitterness is when we, we hope, we put our, our heart puts its hope, our heart, put, heart puts its desire on something, and then reality is, is something very different. Okay? And in our heart of hearts, we, we decided that this is what's going to bring me happiness. This is what's going to bring me joy. This is what's going to bring me meaning and purpose. And it doesn't happen. And it's the feeling that God got this wrong. Okay? And that's where bitterness comes in. God got this wrong. Okay, what's worry? Okay, worry is I've my heart is fixated on something. My heart wants this thing to be the key to my happiness and the good life and, and what I need to exist. And what if it doesn't happen? Because I realize I'm not powerful enough to, to make it happen. And so there's some mystery there. And underneath all that is the belief that God might get it wrong. Right? Y you see the, the, the way these, these interact, okay? Um, and so for the here and now, as we come to, to Revelation 19, as we look at the end of the story, we're going to grow and, and we're going to um, be able to, to fix our gaze on God and grow when we grow in, in, in love, when we engage not just the mind, right? There's a way of reading Revelation 19 and being like, awesome. <laughs> like, I believe that, right? But it doesn't sink to the part of, of, of where it we actually find our hope in it, where we actually treat it like it's going to be true, where we engage our, our imagination. Not, not in imagination in the sense of, of making up false things, but the imagination of, of, of putting ourselves there, of feeling it, of having it sink into where, where it's real, to, to where it's not just words, but where we put ourselves. And that, that's what's wonderful about singing. Like, I, I'm just moved in hearing these singing, these truths, and these songs, and that's part of that process of, of getting beyond the intellectual and to engaging the emotions and engaging the heart and engaging the, the trust level. Um, and so I'm going to turn now to, to the actual chapter. And, and there's going to be, there's a lot there. We say this every week. <laughs> and that's what's awesome about groups. That's awesome about DNA groups. Like, like 
continue, press in even more. But there's some things in, in Revelation 19 I, I just want to highlight that, that just stood out to me as I was preparing that if we believe these things are true, they should affect where we are today. Okay, and so this sermon is going to be less about equipping the mind um, and more about targeting the heart and the affections uh, and, and our emotions and gearing them towards worship. Um, in some ways, I, I was even thinking, uh, just listening to, to just everything before and, and, and the, the singing and, and everything. It's almost like a like a, a pregame pep talk, right? Like, like if you're in like the, a football locker room and you're about to go play your game, the coach isn't like, all right, guys, all right, you know, we're going to get this X and we're going to do, you know, it's like we're going to go and we're going to beat them. And we're going to take it to them and we're going to, you know, and you go, the players are listening and they're just like, we're going to run through that wall, right? And I'm not going to be that. <laughs> uh, it's not my temperament and that's not what this is. But the pregame speech is not targeted at the mind. It's targeted at, at belief. It's targeted at the heart. It's targeted at, at, at inspiring that in you and treating it like it's true and then releasing Okay, think of it more than that, okay? So, I guess that's a long enough intro. You guys get it, right? Um, so, turning to, to the passage, the, the first thing that, that I just wanted to, to lift, um, the loud voice of a great multitude. We, we see this, this reference to, to this voice, to this multitude, uh, in chapter, uh, in, in 19 verse 1, and then again in, in verse 6. And this is actually a... A callback, or um, we see it also in, in Revelation uh, seven. Um, this idea of this, this great multitude, and this is what I mean: like, engage your mind, engage your imagination. Like this great multitude. We, we just a few minutes ago. I don't even. I'm terrible at estimating. There's hundred people. I, I don't know. Whatever's in this room, right? And we were singing that song. There's going to be glory, and I'm just like, this is awesome. I'm feeling right. Like I, I don't know if you've ever been in like a stadium. You know, with, with, you know, 70, 100,000 people, like, all cheering or chanting or, or you know, like, this, this spirit of cohesion, right? There's something transcendent about that. Like, like, like we, we get elevated there, right? And that's only that. Like, now imagine, right, that the saints, the historic, right, like, all together. I mean, it's described as, as peals of thunder. It, it's, it's almost like it's beyond the human voice, right? how transcendent that would feel. I like tap into what you know and what you've experienced and then raise that, like, like, like think that, feel that, breathe that, smell that, like what that would be like. And then what it does in us, right? We forget ourselves in those moments, right? Like, like w when you're walked up in that, that worship place and, and you're feeling it and you're just releasing it and you're doing it to God, you're not focused on, oh my gosh, what's my to-do list? Oh yeah, okay, I forgot to feed the cat or you know, I have this hard meeting coming up, right? You're forgetting all that. You, you've left it all behind, right? Your one and only reference point is God and his beauty and his majesty and his goodness and his rightness, right? That's all together, right? What is that like? Bring that into the present, right? That, that's something to behold. That's something to, to, to look forward to. That's something to, to be, to, to engage in here. Another aspect of that, right, it's, it's every tribe, every tongue, right? It, it's, uh, we do, and we talk about it a lot, but we, we live in a very fragmented, polarized place, right? This is, this is, you know, Republican, Democrat. This is, you know, cross nations, cross races, cross immigration statuses, cross all these things, right? Red Sox, Yankees, right? Like, all of it, um, all together. We find ways, humanity specializes in finding ways to, to divide, to finding ways to, like, take our eyes off of this transcendent God and looking down and finding ways to, to f find people lacking, to find points of disagreement, right? Now, this isn't a, a total free-for-all, right? This is unity around the gospel, right? Don't, don't hear me say anything else. But we tend to, we, we understand the, or in part understand the, the gospel piece, but we, we tend to elevate secondary characteristics up to that, okay? Um, and, you know, you might be looking at me like, okay, I get it. Racism's wrong. Yeah, I get it. You know, favoritism is wrong. But we can press in even deeper, <laughs> right? How often do we, those people over there don't get me, okay? I, I, you know, hey, it's great. I'm glad they're here, but they don't really get me. You know, I, I'm, you know, maybe I, you know, it goes both ways, right? Maybe I'm um, young and single, and I have my young and single problems, my young and single generational things and, and what I'm doing, and eh, those old people, they don't get me. Maybe you're the old person. <laughs> like, damn kids these days, and then, right? Like, it's just 
we, we find those ways where we don't want to give ourselves to each other because we find things to, to separate. Or, or maybe I have my, my friends who aren't in church, but like, hey, we share the same sense of humor. We share the, you know, the, the same taste of music or, or whatever. Um, and I feel closer kinship to them with, with these, these church people over here. Like, you know, they're kind of awkward or, or weird or, you know, they, they, they don't get me. What's your reference point there? Right? I, is it God? Is it this coming together with the multitude, the, the picture of what that represents? Or is it, is it you and your preferences, right? Right? Like that's kind of maybe touching a little more. I, I know it challenges me. Right? But when we look forward to this day, this is going to happen. Right? We are going to be shoulder to shoulder with the kind of assembly. And we're not going to hold on to those distinctions. We're going to be together, united, in joy focused on God and crying out to the very depths of our being how wonderful he is, right? Bring that into the present. Let that affect how you orient with others, right? Let that be what we're about, right? Because I promise you, it's what it's going to be in the future. It's even better if you can do it now, <laughs> right? Start preparing because, right, no, no dragging your feet. Start now because there's going to be rewards in that. We are going to be soul satisfied in that, even if you don't believe it, okay? Believe the end of the story bring it back into the present. Moving on, we, we see this picture uh, of judging Babylon. Um, and, and Nick did a great job just explaining that. I'm not going to rehash his sermon from last week, but this uh, idea of, of, of Babylon, um, we, we see this judgment on, on two bases. Um, um, this is where my handwriting. Uh, <laughs> corrupting, corrupting the earth, um, Judge the Babylon's being judged, right, um, for corrupting the earth, uh, the, the, the pursuit of, of fleshly pleasures, okay? And this is exactly, right, like, go back to what I was talking about five minutes ago, right? This is us, right, the, the spiritual shark trying to, to put our, our worship, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find the key to the good life and happiness, right? And Babylon is right there to say, oh, no, 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 for, forget this God thing, here, right? Here's these lies, Here, here's these temptations, right? We like money, power, fame, sex, like all, all these things, right? We talked about last week. That's what's going on. He's being judged for that, okay? And, and then the second one, um, the shed blood of God's servants, okay? So there's this weird relationship where, where we're being enticed, but then it's also the very thing that we're trying to, to latch onto for, for purpose and happiness and significance is also cutting against us, right? And, and it's, it's harming us, and, and some people even to the point of, of losing their lives. Um, and, and God's finally executing his judgment and we we see in scripture even earlier in revelation it's certainly in psalm a whole lot this idea of how long oh lord right this sense of like like when when is this going to happen and, and we we see that and, and we see the it says the smoke from her goes up forever and ever and that signifies irreversible judgment okay um when it's done it is done in the finality of that and sometimes we uh, I think in the day-to-day -day and in the present, we, we sometimes maybe experience wins or, or small wins, but then it, it feels like they get reversed or, you know, it's kind of two steps forward, one step back. Um, but, but our hope, there's going to be a finality to it, okay? There's going to be. So that, that call to, to, to perseverance. Um, and immediately after judging Babylon, the, the passage continues and moves into this wedding feast, uh, uh, the marriage supper of, of the Lamb. Um, and I, we know, right, uh, the bride of Christ is, is the church, okay? And so don't, don't, don't skip over this. This is, right, God's dealing with, you know, he uses the word prostitute, right? Uh, there's this temptress, there's this Babylon who for, for thousands of years, for generations, has been seducing and enticing the church, right? Like, we're meant to belong to, to Christ, and yet our eyes go to Babylon. Well, we forsake our first and deepest love for the counterfeit, right? And, and we, we see in, in, in Revelation 19, judgment happens, and, and Babylon gets dealt with, but we're not rejected, right? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> if you had serial adultery, over and over and over and over for all the time. Like, you want to deal with, with you know, the, 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 the Babylon, the temptress, the, the, you know, but your faithless, you know, fiance or spouse, right? Like, like, like you kind of would separate that, right? Jesus doesn't do that here, okay? And, and that's us, okay? 
feel this, <laughs> okay? Uh, we are guilty of that. We have been guilty of that historically, and, and right? Um, and yet we're not rejected. And so bringing it to, to the present time, do you ever feel that you don't measure up? Do you ever feel just hard to love, okay? I'm sure different times we, we have, okay? And, and some of us feel that more acutely than others. Feel this, okay? Despite all of this, Babylon's judged, the church is brought near. The church is, is loved, okay? Do you ever feel casual with the church, right? The church is just kind of, you know, I, I fit it in my schedule, but as soon as anything better comes along, like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go do that instead, you know, and not, not just Sunday, but, but just the fullness of the church, right, uh, of, of what it is to, to really commit, to, to, um, to belong, to, to throw in with it, to, to make them your people, right? Do you have a casual orientation to, to the church, right? right you gotta getting, getting a little deeper, right? What, what do we see here, right? Jesus does not have a, it's the bride of Christ. He suffers for that, right? He, he takes the, the dishonor. He, he takes, right? He, he doesn't reject. He deals with, with Babylon, and then he brings in the church. That's how much Jesus values us. That's how much Jesus values the church. So who are we to sit and have a casual attitude towards what Jesus has done here in, in Revelation 19, right? It's true, right? Like, like the church historically has a very poor track record. It's corrupt in, in so many ways, right? Like Babylon was effective, right? And, and we can look around and we can say, you know, I, I can't give myself to human in, in institutions, right? It's, it's, that's a, a very, in some ways, earned, but it, it's a pervasive attitude. I see more and more and more. And not disagreeing that the church doesn't have massive, massive, ugly, right, scars and, and, and things that haven't done, but Jesus never gave up on the church. We can't give up on the church. We cannot sit in judgment of the church. Jesus had every right to judge the church here, right? Deal with Babylon and deal with the church and say, you know, I'm done with both of you. Jesus doesn't. So what Jesus doesn't sit in judgment over, we can't. Now, that doesn't mean we can't try to make the church better. It doesn't mean we can't aspire and, and, and ask questions and, and, and want the church to be what it's meant to be. But we can't reject it. We can't sit in judgment. We can't withhold from it, right? We're called to be part of that. We, continuing in, in that, that, that passage, and honestly, of all the things I, I read, I think this was the most exciting to me. <laughs> and maybe it's just me. Um, talking about how we understand the church, it, you continue uh, through the, the, the passage. Uh, I see it in verse 8. Um, you ever feel what you do doesn't matter? Right? It's kind of like, okay, God's going to forgive me at the end. Sin, death, and evil be defeated at the end. Like, really matter what, what I do? Uh, we look at verse 8. It was granted her, the, the bride, the, the church, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The bright linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Um, I said earlier, we kind of were talking about uh, the beginning of the story. Does anyone remember another time where, where God on his own clothed? Someone, just out of curiosity, Garden of Eden, and that happens, right? I, I said we would get back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve created, created the worship. They, pride enters the world. They think they know better than God. They don't trust God in His provision and His goodness, right? They eat of the fruit, and God kicks them out of the garden. Right? He has to, to judge that, right? And sin enters the world. The world falls. He has every right to say, "Hey." You blew it, <laughs> okay? One rule. You had one rule. Just don't mess up this one thing, and you have everything you'd ever want, and they mess it up. But what does he do as they're leaving Eden? He clothes them, okay? And he clothes them with animal skins. It's his way of saying, look, th th this has to be a, a thing, right? I, I can't turn a blind eye to this, but I still love you. You're still my people. I I'm going to clothe you. Now, fast forward all the way to the end of the story. And we have the church, right, God's people. And we have the church has been cheating. <laughs> the church has been where its worship and its sense of, of, of purpose, its sense of security, its sense of identity is meant to be fulfilled in, in God and Christ, right? It's been located elsewhere. And God clothes. And what does he clothe with 
right? He, he's the one who does it, and he closed with the works of righteousness. And we didn't coordinate this, but, but Nick's, li- li- you know, the, the, this prayer for, for increased works of, of righteousness, like, what we do matters, and it's not look at us, not, hey, let's, let's pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and do more good deeds so we can have better clothes, right? It's not that. God has given it. And we, you reminded me, um, you're probably familiar, anyone, uh, it's a popular memory verse, but Ephesians 2.10 says, um, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do works God has prepared in advance for us to do. Right, so God is giving us these things. He has prepared them. He has put them in front of us for us to do. We're only able to do them in the spirit by God's grace. And he, he gives them to us and we do them. And then he uses them to clothe us, to provide for us, right, as the bride of Christ. Right? That's a high level of commitment. Okay, God takes marriage seriously, right, and, and we do as his followers, right. But that, that protection, that, that love, that, that, that envelopment, okay, that's all for us. Let that, bring that into the present. If that's true, how does that change how we feel? How does that change how we, we act and react, okay? Um, the last piece, um, we, we, as we continue to move forward, we, we see this ride around the, the white horse. Um, and that's that getting back, right, to that how long, oh, Lord. And I, everyone here, like, we're a diverse group of people. I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, we all have ups and downs. We all live our lives, right? And we come here in different places. And I'm sure for some people, you're, you're riding a high. Things have gone well, and, and you're just in that place. And, and for some of us, maybe we're dealing with discouragement. Maybe we're feeling just weak and, and just kind of in need of encouragement. Um, and I, I kind of, I've been feeling that my, myself lately. I, I've been feeling just weary. I, I've been feeling tired. I, I've just been... Sometimes you just feel overwhelmed and, and reminded of, of just how weak <laughs> the flesh is and how um, pervasive evil is. How, how just you can feel like there's strain and strain and strain and it's just like there's so much hurt and pain in, in, in the world and, and I can't do anything about it and, and I can't change it. And, you know, I, I've talked about it before, like just even vocationally, right? I, I, I'm a lawyer. I, I do child abuse and neglect work. And there's just some times where I'm just reviewing records and there's only so many pictures of, of bruises and, and just these awful things that, that happen to, to children and innocent children. And you just, you <laughs> it just get deflated. Um, and you just, there's something in our soul that, that cries out, how long, oh God. And as I was reflecting on this, um, I, I even came to a place of appreciating God sh- putting me through, showing me that e- as I was even preparing for this. Because I do ultimately think it's a, it's a gift if, if we engage it the right way. Um, it's a reminder of our weakness. It's a reminder of our inadequacy, and that's a good thing. <laughs> okay, We are inadequate. We are weak. We, we cannot, you know, what we do matters, but we cannot bring about healing on our own, like our hope lies forward, our hope lies elsewhere. But disillusionment is a gift, okay, because it's a reminder that that agitation we feel in our spirit is a reminder that we have something to look forward to, okay? We can't place our hope in the present. And disillusionment, it's it's a reminder that it's an illusion. (laughs) When we get lulled into thinking we can make it happen, that we can heal things, that we can be strong enough, that we can be good enough, that we can make all things right. It's an illusion. And it's, it's when our eyes drift down, right? Because what's the here and now? It's real to me. <laughs> I, I can manage that. I can control that, right? And it's futile. And it's a lie. And it's, it's evidence of, of a reference point being around me, okay? And when you feel that, you feel ground down, it's an invitation to look back up. It's an invitation to look forward. And we do. We, we have this picture of the rider on this white horse coming down, right? And um, I was even flirting, if I'm just being honest. I, I was talking with this, uh, the guys in my DNA group yesterday, and there was a part of me that, that wanted to, it's just as I was listen, reading this and, and trying to imagine it and trying to, like, how to convey it, like, there's just, this is the classic movie scene, right? When, when like, kind of things are dim and, and, and the good guys are, are you know, the enemies kind of, encircling and it seems like hope is lost and then you know the, the good guy the powerful one the, the, the Jesus figure comes coming down and just starts kicking butt and just you know boom 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 right and there's just something in me that's like 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the the kind of the the trailer for the movie. I mean, maybe that's giving it away too much, but it's it's, it's the part where you want to stand and cheer, and it's real, right? And um, yeah, like uh, I'm not gonna. Th- there's all kinds of movies. You, if you think about it, you, you can you can find the, the echoes there. And why that resonates? It's because God's story is the big story, and then these are echoes of of God's story. And we respond because we know in our heart that it's true. We know and we want it to be true. We want to, to, to be that. We want it to be because um, it is. Okay? It, it's, it's something that, that sings in our spirit. And so we encounter this in Revelation 19 um, and bring it into the present. Okay? I don't have to be the one to defeat some death and evil because God, like, he's revealed that to us. I don't know when. Okay? And I have to live in faith and I have to live in unfaith. I don't know when but I know it will happen, and that changes, okay? It, it gives me hope, and it gives me the ability to keep doing these deeds, not because I can solve the problem, but because God has loved me, God has called me, God has equipped me, and God has asked me to be light in the world, all of us, to, to do that in our own ways, okay? And that's why we do it. It's not the result. It's a reflection of what God's already done and what he will be doing. To wrap this up, um, I, <laughs> it's funny, I, I was trying to, I was mulling on this all week, and, you know, you never quite know, you know, how do I want to do it, you know, and, um, this isn't mine, <laughs> where is he, Ian, Ian, uh, is a treasured member of our group, um, and he, he's returns, and he, um, we, we had group on Wednesday, and, I hadn't talked to Ian. There was no coordination on the front end. And we were just, he had been away for a couple months over the summer. So this was the first time a lot of us had seen him. And we were just asking him, like, you know, you've gone and and you've traveled. And and, um, just, like, what are some things God showed you? Or just reflecting on it. Ian's a thoughtful guy. We just wanted to hear, like, what's God saying to you? And he told us this story. um, And I heard the story. And his story was basically the thesis statement of this sermon. And I said, Ian, I'm going to steal your story. And I'm going to close with it. But he said, okay. So no going back. I see a thumbs up. Um, so the story Ian told, uh, and I'm probably going to do a worse job than what Ian did. So <laughs> I'll call your bluff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll just say oh, some creative license. Uh, I- Ian was telling us a story where he was in South Dakota. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to stop looking at him for affirmation. Uh, he was in South Dakota. Uh, traveling with a friend, and uh, I don't know anything about South Dakota. I've never been to South Dakota, but when he tells me it's ultra remote, I believe him. Um, and he's driving in South Dakota, and he's driving with his friend, and he's in the middle of nowhere, and he's just going along, and he notices his, his gas gauge is going down. And that kind of like, oh no, <laughs> I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if there's a gas station. I have no idea if I'm going to run out of gas. And, and some of the anxiety creeps in. Like, am I going to get stranded? If, what if no one finds me? What if, you know, <laughs> like, how long am I going to be stuck out here? Like, just whatever. If it was me, I'd be worried about wolves or something. I, I, I don't know. Um, but he was just describing as they're going, like, there's no going back. <laughs> there's no real purpose in stopping. Y- you got to keep going. Um, and, and the anxiety kind of builds as more and more goes. The gas, you know, the fuel gauge goes down, down, and there's no sign. And he just described seeing a sign for a gas station. It was like 30 miles away. And he like looked and he's just like, I got 30 miles. All right. And then it all melts away. Because the point in the future, he knows it's there. The gas station is there. And so he can journey. He, he's free to journey. He doesn't have to worry about the consequences because he knows he'll get gas. Okay. And just <laughs> I, I was just being reminded of that listening. Like there's going to be glory. I love that song. It's exactly it, right? There's going to be glory like, after this, right? There's going to be a gas station <laughs> after this, right? It's just kinda, I was kind of flipping the lyrics in my head. But there's going to be a gas station. There's going to be glory, right? And we are all kind of metaphorically like in this car. And there's times where we wonder about our gas gauge. And we <laughs> kind of see it. And, and sometimes panic can set in because we, we don't know. But God's given us the gift of the end of the story. And we know there is always going to be that gas station. We are not going to run out of gas. God won't let us. 
So we are free, but we have to live in light of that. It would be the height of folly for Ian to have seen the sign for the gas station and then continue to be anxious about it. Because why? It's there, right? And it's open. Let's just assume. (laughs) But that's what it is. And that's God's gift for us. And that's what we do. Engage our hearts. Engage our imagination. Live in light of the end of the story. Father, thank you um, for this gift. Uh, Thank you that that you care enough about us to um, give us the end of the story. Like like I said, you didn't have to do that. You you choose to reveal yourself however you do, God. And um, we're not left to wonder. Um, And so I I just confess in in my own heart, and I just confess uh, on behalf of of all of us here, God, that we do um, lower our eyes. We we do lower our eyes, God. We, We do... Uh, forget. Uh, we, we do live um, as if Revelation 19 and, and beyond, the, the end of the story is not true, God, or, or that it's just intellectual knowledge that, that passes in our head and um, it's not something we hold on to, God, but we know that you're good, we know that you're true, and we know that your judgments are, are right, and that we um, are blessed to, to be among your children, God. We, we thank you for the gospel, we thank you for what you've accomplished and what you will accomplish as your story continues to unfold, God. Help our unbelief. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.